You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 681 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on a Wednesday evening, about 24 hours or so after what was a calamitous performance from the Hawks in New York, which they lost by 23 points to the Knicks. Uh, plenty has happened. I would definitely encourage you to listen to that game podcast. But when we recorded on Tuesday evening, it was uh, before actually any of the post-game audio had taken place. Lloyd Pierce had a very, very delayed arrival to the media, which means the locker room was also delayed. So we recorded without full information. Since then, plenty has happened, plenty has been said by fans and reporters and et cetera, et cetera, and I got, I got asked a lot of questions, which we'll touch on in a second here, but a couple of interesting things that I wanted to point out to you. Uh, both Sarah Spencer of the AJC and Chris Kirshner of The Athletic um, were in New York for Tuesday's game and uh, put together some really interesting pieces. I would definitely recommend you guys reading those, um, some notable quotes from guys like Herter and Reddish and Memory uh, that were in, in the mix with those reports and uh, very, very interesting to uh, read that in retrospect. Lloyd Pierce took responsibility in his post-game address. We talked a lot about the uh, the energy, the lack of energy, I guess, that they had in that game and the investment and the communication and all that fun stuff, which kind of lays into the background of uh, sort of the, I won't call it a bombshell because it wasn't that level of reporting, I don't think, but Chris Haynes of Yahoo put forth a national report that made a lot of waves, including what in, in Atlanta, obviously. I wrote about it a little bit at peacetrogroups.com if you want to see my written thoughts, but uh, more of an aggregation kind of thing. But um, Haynes put together some substance, and I think a little bit more substance than the reporting from Sham Sarania about two weeks ago after the loss of, um, against Brooklyn. As I said at the time, Chris Kirschner did push back on Shams reporting. Uh, uh, I guess originally Shams reported there was an emotional exchange, quote-unquote, involving Trey Young, and then Chris pushed back on that, um, not seeing that same reporting, um, not understand, not having the sources tell, tell him the same thing, etc. But it always made sense, even at the time of Shams reporting, that, they, that there could be frustration with the team's long losing streak and all the losses kind of piling up. Since then, they picked up a couple of wins, but um, they've now lost five in a row. And uh, with that in mind, Haynes reported uh, a lot of different things on Wednesday. I'm going to go through the report sort of step-by-step here at the the top of the podcast. Um, First, and I think the one that got the most attention, I think, of all was, uh, and I'm, I'm quoting here from Chris Haynes of Yahoo, Frustration in the locker room has been building for some time as teammates have complained to each other about selfishness, not putting in the necessary work to turn things around, and players not being held accountable, end quote. From there, Haynes also reported that, quote, a true vocal leader who commands the respect of his peers was missing from the roster, end quote, and that was from a source uh, inside the Hawks. Also, um, it kind of it kind of spun on from there, but I'll stop there for a second. I do want to say, you know, frustration for a team that's lost 16 of 18 makes a lot of sense. Still, this is a lot, there's, there's a lot of smoke here, and it has to be talked about because it's not the first time this has been reported. And, of course, this uh, comes right after a devastating and, I would say, terrible loss against the Knicks. So with that with that sort of in mind here, none of that is good and that report the report was actually written through the prism of Lloyd Pierce. It went out of his way to say Haynes did that Pierce is not on the hot seat. I repeat, not on the hot seat. But later on in the same piece, um Haynes writes, and I'm quoting now again, if the Hawks play and attitude continue to erode, the heat on Pierce will start to rise, end quote. My mentions have been full people with ideas on who talked to Haynes. I'm not going to go into that because as of now, I'd be guessing. I have some, you know, 
background information in my head that you know, could lead me to who I think it might have been that spoke to Haynes, probably multiple players, I would imagine. But I will not do that here. I do I do think that it was definitely noteworthy up and down the report. Also has to be stressed there was not there was not a single direct quote or an on the record statement by anybody in that post. That's usually interesting to just put out there as a as a bit of backdrop, but a lot of uh, noise with this particular report, and we'll talk about Pierce a little bit more later on in the podcast. The center, the centerpiece of this, of this pod is going to be me sort of answering five common questions that I got between Tuesday and Wednesday, but all that to say, it was not great for Lloyd Pierce to be talked about in this manner. Um, again, it's stressed that he was not on the hot seat, but the fact that it's even a discussion now, you know, early in his second season after last season, which he had pretty much a, u- a universal approval rate, uh, uh, rating, I should say, um, it's pretty interesting, to say the least. Um, elsewhere in that reporting that I wanted to point out here before we move on, um, there was a quote. Um, this is not a, a quote from the story, not a quote from the person, but um, I'm quoting now. There is work that needs to be done to strengthen the connection with a few significant players, end quote. And that's between Pierce and the players, I, I presume, and reading between the lines there. So the combination of um, the teammates complaining to each other about accountability and uh, not putting in necessary work, and now there's a report uh, and, and within the same reporting, talking about there's being work that needs to be done to strengthen the connection with a few significant players. That's very interesting. Um, significant players can mean a lot of different things. It could mean Trey Young, who's the best player on the team. I'm now guessing about that. But when people were asking me what that kind of means and sort of to interpret it, uh, significant usually means good players. It doesn't always mean that. Um, could be other things. Could be veterans. Could be highly paid guys. Could be a lot of different things. But, um, of course, a lot of people jumped on, jumped on that mean Trey Young. I, I am not going to tell you that's definitely what that means, but it certainly would be plausible in that way. Um, and the last thing that I thought was interesting here was that Haynes also reported that, that John Collins is, quote, one of the primary factors in the organization remaining patient with Pierce, end quote. Because of the fact that, of course, Collins is not being playing right now, and apparently that gives him a little bit a little bit of a longer leash, as it should. We'll talk about that uh, as we get going here as well on the podcast later on. But the fact that that was even included as to like as if Pierce needed something that was uh, going to have him be, I guess, the organization be patient with him is noteworthy, to be sure. So lots of different things to discuss from the Haynes Report. I would definitely recommend that you read it. I also wrote about it, again, at peacetrips.com if you want to sort of a summary of what transpired there and some context and other things that I would definitely... Uh, push you towards that, but um, certainly, you know, after the game on Tuesday, I expected my mentions to be a disaster, and they absolutely were, and then you throw in the fact that there was a national, you know, very credible reporter weighing in on the Hawks and kind of shedding the spotlight onto Lloyd Pierce. That is not exactly great for for the Hawks in this spot. Um, I will say we'll have plenty more to talk about on this podcast, but we're going to go to a quick break early on so that I can go ahead and stop here. It's a good stopping place for me. And we'll come back with five intriguing questions that I have that, that I was asked in the last day or so that I wanted to answer. So hold on tight. And here's a word from our sponsors. All right. And we're back with the five sort of burning questions that I was asked. And uh, just for the record, I was asked a lot of different things, well beyond five different things. In fact, there's one later on that I will sort of maybe maybe touch on, but it was about trade stuff. Lots of trade questions. I'm holding off on that stuff for now. Also, uh, I was asked about stuff that was, it was not involving everybody that hates Jeff Siegel. I understand you guys don't like Jeff Siegel right now. I get that too. Um, but five questions that were basketball related or at least related to the situation that I wanted to address. I'm not going to attribute these to any single person because honestly, I got all of these multiple times and I'm going to just kind of push them together. But here we go. Number one, are the Hawks actually as bad as they were on Tuesday night? The short answer is probably not because that's about the worst performance that you're ever, ever going to see. But the Hawks are now 29th in net rating. They're 27th in defensive rating and 26th in offensive ratings. So that's bottom five 
on both ends of the floor. And um, it's also even worse than that when, when considering how bad they've been since Sean Collins was suspended. The Hawks have an impossibly bad 116.7 defensive rating since Collins' suspension started. That feels like it's not even a fluke, though, given the way that they have, it's just sort of how bad they've been defensively during that time. We'll talk about the roster and why that might be later on in the podcast. But, um, you know, the the short answer is the Hawks are bad right now. Are they as bad as they were on Tuesday? No, because that was awful. But uh, no one's that bad. So there you go on that. Projection systems now have the Hawks in the mid to high 20s in terms of projections for the season. I'd be a little bit higher than that, I think, still. Um, based on the impact of Collins coming back, I think I'm probably higher than the, than the computers are going to be on John Collins and his impact. But the Hawks are bad right now. There's no way around that. I can't help but thinking um, how bad it would be if Trey Young wasn't having an unbelievable season. Because you know if Trey had just kind of taken a re- relatively linear step from last year to this year, he wouldn't be as good as he's been so far. And if he wasn't this good, the Hawks would be in, it would be in even more trouble. So shout out to Trey Young for being very very good this season. But I have to I do think it's worth pointing out the Hawks have 22 losses right now. Only four of them are against teams that are not going to make the playoffs definitively. So the schedule has been really brutal. It's a, it's a top five schedule. I've been saying that throughout the season. Even coming into the season, I um, tried to warn people off of the uh, slow start that was probably going to be happening. Um, there are some other fringe teams in there like Sacramento and Phoenix. But for the most part, there are only a handful, a small handful of bad losses. This is obviously, I think, the worst one. As I said yesterday on the podcast, the Knicks loss was worse than Houston because of just the, of the situation. Full rest, bad opponent, etc. But... No excuses there. That was an abject disaster. I do think at least some of the reactions a little bit overblown based on that one game. But the short answer is the Hawks are bad. They're not as bad as they were on Tuesday. Question number two comes about John Collins. And basically, it's how much of this can John can John Collins fix? I tweeted about this a little bit on Wednesday. I think the short answer to this is he's going to fix some of it, but not all of it. I said before, I thought Collins was the best player on the team last year for the full season when you account for Trey's downturn and you account for the defensive gap between the two guys. Last season, I thought Collins was the best player. I do think that Trey is better than John Collins now based on the leap that he made, and he's awesome. Uh, But Collins was quite good before he got suspended. It was five games, and we'll see how he looks after he comes back. But he's a very, very helpful player. We know know that on offense. On defense, um, I do think that... um, there's some question marks, but his defense made a, a monster leap in that five-game sample to open the season. It was it was a genuine positive, and at the end of last season, it was much better as well. So if you bank on that being real, or at least pretty real, that'd be a huge, huge thing for the Hawks. I wouldn't assume necessarily that Collins can play quite as good defensively on a full, on a full season sample until we just see it for a full season, but... I think it's at least possible that he can, maybe even likely. And regardless, even if he regresses a little bit, he's a massive upgrade. Again, a massive upgrade over the guys that he's going to be replacing in the rotation and all those minutes that he'll be taking up. That's not a small thing at all. We saw the same thing last year to some degree also with John Collins. The Hawks were 5-16 and 16 without him last year. Most of that at the, beginning, at the beginning of the season when he missed that time with the ankle injury. That was a 19-win pace without John Collins, and they played at a 32-win pace when he actually played. Early in the year last year, we saw full scale that the Hawks had just nothing at power forward. They were really just kind of not prepared to have life without John Collins last season. This year, they did add Jabari Parker, which definitely helped offensively. And Jabari is a better player than anyone they had last year in that spot. But Jabari has been struggling recently. And I think it's very clear at this point in time that Jabari is not someone that you want as an ideal like 28 to 30 minutes starting sort of carry the load kind of power forward at this point in time. I think he's better suited to the role he was supposed to be in, that sixth man, seventh man role on a good team. Um, and obviously it's not, not a good team right now, but Jabari is better suited in that role and he'll be able to go back to it when Collins is back. Also, worth pointing out that the Hawks basically have one guy on the roster at the moment that's playing that's even an average defensive player 
at the four and five, and that's Alex Lynn. He's not elite, but he's certainly a solid defensive player. Everybody else is a question mark to be very, very kind about that. I do think that Collins has questions defensively, but he projects to be better than everybody else other than Lynn pretty comfortably, and uh, even if he regresses a little bit from early season. And then on offense, it's very obvious what he brings to the table. Pick and roll stuff with Trey Young, we, we've already seen that, that be basically elite from last season. Um, he's also the best He's also the best shooting big man on the roster at this point. Now that Deadman's not on the team anymore, he's the best shooting big man on the team. He's the best offensive rebounder on the team. He's the only guy on the team that will be defended as a high-level role threat. We've seen Damian Jones get some good looks from Trey Young, but John Collins will be respected a lot more than Damian Jones is offensively. That'll help Trey Young. That'll help the wings get better shots. That'll also take the pressure off the centers to some degree. Just he helps a lot in a lot of different ways, obviously. He's also the only small ball five on the team. Um, and the Hawks want to be able to go small at times. We've seen, the, we've seen them even try it with Jabari Parker. That's never going to work defensively. With Collins, they were able to switch some. Um, if you play him at the five, there's some dynamics lapses that you can kind of go to with that. If you want to score and try to outscore teams, that's definitely possible as well. So in short, Collins will help quite a bit. I've been talking about that all season long. I think Hawks fans have been higher at times than I have on John Collins, but John Collins is good at basketball. There's no question about that. And I do think um, he will help quite a bit. He will not make this a good team by himself because what we've seen without him is that this is a deeply flawed team. I do think that his presence is a big reason why they are as bad as they've been recently. So having him back, if he's playing as well as he can play, that will paper, paper over a lot of different issues this season. Number three, on the list of questions, and thank you for joining me for the, for the podcast, by the way. Uh, number three, how much of this is on Lloyd Pierce? And isn't he supposed to be a defensive coach? So we'll hold off on the stuff about the locker room for a second. But the on-court stuff, I tackled a lot. But I think the defensive coach thing is just kind of silly. And I want to start quickly with basketball stuff as a result of that. He is a defense-first coach in terms of reputation. There is not a coach in the NBA, though, that can that could fix his defense. If you're going to play the roster that the Hawks have been playing um, – it's not going to be tenable defensively. I do think that Pierce does deserve criticism right now. I have been generally positive on Pierce. I do think that he is well within the criticism range at this point in time for how bad it's been. If you don't have guys prepared to play, that's a problem, and that's at some point on the coach to some degree. But the roster is bad, particularly defensively. Um, the Hawks do have one elite player on either side of the floor, and that's Trey on offense. Defensively, they don't have a single guy who I would who I would I would describe as even very good. They have some pretty good defenders, and I, and I do think both Hunter and Reddish have very good potential defensively, and those guys are already very solid defensive players, but they're still rookies. Rookies have defensive mistakes sometimes. No shade on those guys. They've actually been pretty good defensively, but if you look at the roster, there is no elite defender on this team. Um, Bembry might be the closest when he's fully engaged, but he's someone who's barely even been playing recently, and offensively, it's kind of a mess. So there are some guys who I think are average or better defensively. Alex Lynn, um, Hunter and Reddish, I think Kevin Herter is average-ish defensively. Bembry is above average when he uh, when he is playing. But that's kind of it right now on the roster of guys who I would describe in that fashion. And you'll notice that only one of those guys that I named is a big man. That's a problem when you're talking about the worst interior defense in the entire league right now. It's a mess, particularly without John Collins. Um, they have to play young a lot, clearly, and that, help, that, hurt, that, that helps the offense by leaps and bounds, but also it hurts the defense sort of. You know, you can't get around that. It's going to hurt the defense um, when Young is when young, when young is playing. So having to play Young with guys like Parker and Jones together makes defense basically untenable. And then you throw in guys like Vince Carter and Alan Crabb, and you get into a place where you just can't field defensive lineups. Obviously, when Trey leaves the floor offensively, you can field some decent defensive lineups, but you can't play offense. So it's a win or lose situation that's always a lose on, on defense whenever you're trying to actually score. So yeah, there you go on that. So as I said, Last night, and I'll say it again from earlier about Haynes reporting, I think that Pierce does deserve heat 
for the way that the last week or so has gone. He messed up badly last week on Tuesday in Miami with the way that he was uh, tactically messing that game up in the fourth quarter. He knew it right away and owned it, but it was still a pretty massive screw-up from a head coach. That's one incident, but I, I do think that you have to have some responsibility for the head coach for the way that the Hawks lost this game on Tuesday against the Knicks. Um, you know, I've given them sort of some passes along the way for the Houston game and, and the Clippers game because they were just really bad spots against good teams, but you have to be competitive against the Knicks. That's just not something you can get away from. And I do think that um, the blowouts can be tracked to the head coach in some way, shape, or form. How much of that is up for debate? Certainly, but the notion that he should be fired right now is not something that I could even come close to saying is accurate. I think the information that's out there is interesting, to be sure, from Haynes and Shams. Um, but what I have right now, I, I cannot possibly say that he's going to be fired, uh, in, in my opinion. Um, we'll see what happens in the future. But um, I think it's hard for me to see you know, how a guy goes from a very, I would say, high 90s approval rating, like maybe three, four months ago, to now where people are ask, asking me every single day, every single hour probably, if he'll be fired. That seems kind of crazy um, to me. The reporting is not great. It's not a great look for Lloyd Pierce, to be sure, and I'm sure some of it is true, if not all of it. But it's also quite early talking about hot seat stuff with with a team that has this kind of roster. I will say he will get a lot of, as Haynes noted as well, he'll get a lot more heat if this continues with John Collins on the floor, and I think that'll be justified because. When Collins is playing, this team should not be that this bad. I talked about all, all summer long with Jeff and other people on this podcast just how, you know, there were some questions about the, about the supporting cast. I thought it was worse this year than it was last year. That looks to be prescient at this point in time. But with Collins in the lineup and Herter, if those, if if, the, if sort of the core three are in are in place there with Young, Herter, and Collins to go along with the rookies, etc., the team should not be as bad as it's been. So if it continues to be this bad, then Pierce will get a lot more chatter and it'll be harder to defend him. For now. A sort of a TBD, but I do think it has to be said that he's operating with a roster that is deeply, deeply flawed right now, particularly without John Collins, which leads us to question number four. And question number four is, and I got this one a lot, probably more than I thought I was going to get this one, um, is it time to question the work of Travis Schlenk? So, um, obviously, Schlenk is in charge of basketball decisions. Um, when it comes to building the roster, Pierce operates the roster, but Schlenk makes the roster. And I think the broad answer is that if you were in a camp that wanted the Hawks to compete this season for a playoff spot, you probably aren't thrilled with the way that the team has been put together this year. Because I thought the rebuild was a good idea. They obviously hired Travis Schlenk to tear it down and build it back up. That was always going to happen. He was hired to execute that plan. Within two years, he drafted a legitimate centerpiece guy in Trey Young and then found great value with John Collins and Kevin Herter. So obviously in the draft, he's done a fantastic job overall. Obviously, it, I would say it's a TBD on, on the 2019 class, but the, his first two drafts were basically home runs with getting those three guys where they got them. Um, obviously, the Luca trade is another discussion that we'll have on a different day. But Trey Young is very, very good, and you can't really uh, be upset about having Trey Young on, the, on your roster. I didn't love the Hunter trade, et cetera, et cetera. But this year, again, TBD. Um, his process-driven moves have not always been great. I think outside of the draft, his value calculations have been a little bit shaky at times. But I think Schlenk has done a solid job in overhauling the roster for the long term. But for this season only, I think it has to be said, and I said it before the season started, he constructed a pretty poor roster in terms of its flaws and its lack of depth. Uh, that was something that was certainly a theme before the season started, but the supporting cast is worse than it was a year ago, even when they had Collins. And I think, you know, the, the injury makes it harder to evaluate Schlenk's overall plan. But coming into the year, we talked about this on, on the podcast, that the Hawks didn't have a plan B if they got an injury to Young or Collins. Those are the two guys, but 
it's, it's you know there's a decent likelihood I, I, it's not, obviously it wasn't an injury and the suspension thing makes it even harder because it wasn't an injury and they still lost Collins which is on Collins ultimately but it happened and the roster was not built to withstand that kind of absence I think you know, for one thing, the Hawks are better than this at full strength. The roster is not set up for success, though. I will say that. Um, even at the highest of heights, um, you could not have really seen this team go very, very high. And again, I was okay with that because this is a team that's built for the future, not the present. I think expectations got, got a little bit away from people this season. Coming into the year, I tried to damp them out a little bit. Um, but the roster, particularly defensively, is the biggest problem and not so much effort or coaching. I think that the effort's actually been pretty good for the Hawks this season. You know, effort is... I despise the defense is all about effort thing. That's not a thing that matters. It's not that, that is accurate. Obviously, you need effort, but execution is what really matters at the NBA level. And you need effort, but you, it's not just that by any means. And the coaching, same thing. So ultimately, the roster has to fall on Schlenk at some degree. In the same breath, he did say on the record about you know three weeks ago to, to Chris Kirchner of The Athletic that the team's internal, again, internal, their own projections had them only for 30 or 31 wins this season. That was before the Collins suspension. So... Obviously, Schlenk was not trying to push. If he thought that they were going to make the playoffs this year, he would have built for the playoffs this year. He's still building. This is still a rebuild. I know it's year three of the rebuild. It's year two of the Schlenk era of the rebuild. It's all those things put together. But it's, uh, yeah, I, I just think that at the end of the day, this team is built for the future, not the present. That's very, very clear. So reacting in season I, I totally understand it that's what that's what fans are going to do and obviously I talked about how frustrating it was on Tuesday and how bad that performance was and how inexcusable it was so not even I'm immune to it but in general I'm fine with everything being future facing for the Hawks right now if you get into next year and you spend a bunch of money in free agency and you try to build a team to make the playoffs and then you fail that becomes an indictment on the GM for now you know not every move was one that I loved this summer, and I think it was pretty clear that they did not make the moves to try to win this year. If they won this year, it was going to be because the young guys really improved. And by the way, Trey Young really did improve. Trey Young made the leap. He just happens to be alone at this point because Herder got banged up and Collins has been out. So we'll see if we'll see if those guys look like they're supposed to look in the second half of the season. But for now, I understand the pushback on Schlank because it's not a good roster and the GM is, is responsible for the roster. But ultimately, I think it probably uh, depends on where you came down on expectations for this year. If you thought it was going to be a playoff team, you probably are not very happy. If you were looking to the future more than the present, you're probably okay with where things are at this point in time. All right. After all that, question five, and this is probably the, the easiest or maybe the least consequential at this point in time, but people were asking me, so I thought it was interesting to point out there. Number five is, is this the lowest point of the rebuild so far? This is year three, as I said before. You know, the first year of the rebuild um, was still Mike Budenholzer, and it was a team that was pretty dreadful to watch. I, uh, it was not fun, um, and it was a team basically that it was the same team as the year before, except without their better players from the year before. They didn't really do anything to try to win that season. You know, I did say on the podcast last night this is that the Knicks game was the worst performance of the season. I definitely stand by that. It was it was an appalling performance from the Hawks, but. They got blown out last year in historic fashion a couple different times last season. And early in the year when Trey Young was struggling last season and the losses were piling up, there were plenty of righteous anger about the draft and all that stuff. So that's easy to forget, but it definitely happened about a year ago at this time, uh, at least in November for sure. I will hold off on saying this is the lowest part of the rebuild because I think the fan base has to be you know, at least cognizant of the fact that they have Trey Young and Trey Young is now a superstar level player offensively. You know, at the beginning of the rebuild, that was the hope 
of the number one thing that you need is a superstar level player offensively. We can talk about Trey's weaknesses and stuff like that, but we kind of know at this point he's averaging like 28 and 8. We know what he is offensively, and that's an awesome player. So the optimism of just having that guy on your team is higher than it was two years ago. So kind of by default, you can't be as low as you were two years ago. I do think that, you know, the fan base is probably the angriest it's been in the last few years right now, at least in terms of on Twitter. I will say that this is probably the most negative reaction that I have seen from a fan base over the last week or so, ranging from the Miami game all the way to the Knicks game. It was pretty ugly on Twitter and uh, on comments and stuff like that. So maybe that's expectations. Maybe that's just kind of the heat of the battle kind of stuff. But I think the excuse of Collins' suspension does matter. And again, like I said, Trey Young being a proven offensive star, that kind of provides a baseline that's just much higher than it was during the Dennis Schroeder as the leading scorer era of the basketball team, which was not that long ago. About two years ago, Dennis Schroeder was the best player, at least the face of the offense. And uh, that was not a great situation to be in if you were the Hawks. Ultimately, I think the Hawks could still push towards 30 wins. I talked about this a lot um, in recent days and weeks, but this is a team that's going to be notably better when Collins comes back and the schedule is going to lighten up. The schedule in March is comically light. So, you know, thir- I will say the, the playoffs seem to be fading away. I won't say it's impossible because the East is so bad, but, you know, at 6-22, it's an uphill battle to be sure. But if the Hawks were to get to 30 wins still, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, they could play, you know, it's like 24-30, and 30. The rest of the way to make the playoffs, and if you look at the schedule, and if you assume this team is going to be like closer to a 500-ish product, I wouldn't assume that necessarily with John Collins. But if you go back to thinking they're like a mid-30s win team with John Collins and combine that with the schedule, then you can see 30 wins or so. So, and if that happens, people will not be as upset. I don't think so. A lot of sort of, I would say, sort of flexibility in the next few weeks about how this Hawks team is going to be. At the same time, you can't lose the way they did on on Tuesday and not expect blowback in a big way. Um, It arrived. With haste, um, but there you go. This is not the lowest point in the rebuild, I don't think, because you know, they have Trey Young, they have John Collins, and the future is brighter than it was just a couple of years ago. Um, as I said before, people asking about trades, we'll hold off on that stuff. I do think that if they are going to buy on a, tra- this is a short answer by the way, and this is not 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 one of the five questions, but a short sixth question. Um, if they are going to make a trade to make themselves better in season, it better not be a rental. It has to be future facing or I will not be on board with it. If they want to add someone in season that will help them long term, they have the cash base, they have the resources to do that. If they want to go out and buy someone who is young, fits the timeline and is under contract for more, more than one season, I'm all aboard with that. In fact, I predicted it in on Peachtree Hoops before, before the season started with, with my bold prediction that the Hawks would make a sort of an in-season buying trade. But it can't be a rental, so keep that in mind as you're looking towards trade stuff, and there's still a long, long time before the deadline. So, all that to say, a longer podcast than usual when it's just me, but I feel, I feel like the moment was already going to happen. I was already planning to do a five questions podcast even before the Chris, the Chris Haynes report dropped, so I wanted to at least add that sort of addendum at the beginning of this podcast, but here we are, and uh, 25, 26 minutes of content. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, we'll look ahead to Thursday a little bit. The Hawks are six-point home underdogs right now to the Utah Jazz. By the way, no Mike Conley in that game for Utah, so the playing field a little bit more level, although Conley's been bad this year, but still another guy who is a quality player not playing for Utah, uh, and the Hawks are at home, so we'll see how they fare in that game. And then they go uh, back to New York um, to face the Brooklyn Nets on the road on Saturday in the final game 
before John Collins returns um, next week against the Cavs on December 23rd. So plenty of intrigue coming in the future. Please subscribe to this podcast. I really appreciate everybody that's listening to the show. Hopefully you guys appreciate the way that I'm sort of dissecting all of this. And if I didn't get your question on Twitter today or yesterday, my apologies, but hopefully I answered it in this form in some way. And if not, hit me up again at BT Roland or at Locked on Hawks on Twitter. Please subscribe to the show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Overcast, all those places, and we'll see everybody after the game on Thursday.